Hey guys, welcome back to Art Techo, uh, where we interview artists using technology in innovative and forward-thinking ways. I'm Sean Porio. And I'm Nick Royal. On today's episode, episode two of season three, we interviewed your local bread man, an artist making a lot of experimental liminal space art. Yeah, his art kind of deals in like a similar realm of like SCPs. It's based around these entities and characters that he's designed and this whole world and lore of this place that he calls the void and all of his work takes place there and we kind of asked him to get a little bit into uh, some of the recurring characters and some of the recurring themes that appear in his work yeah we had a really cool conversation with him due to some technical issues with um recording his audio we needed to splice together a couple of um backup recordings so just be aware that there's going to be a little bit of noise on that microphone but without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. listening to Art Techo. I'm Sean Porio. And I'm Nick Royal. And we are joined today from across the pond with Emmanuel, aka your local bread man. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, man. So I guess right off the bat, um, we found your work through your Instagram account, your local bread man. And that's an account where you're posting digital art, uh, videos, images, uh, and they all kind of have this kind of creepy pasta SCP cursed images vibe of these uh, kind of recurring characters, these recurring these recurring uh, entities that show up. But I guess just kind of generally, like, how did you get into doing art on Instagram? Where did that kind of come from? Um, well, I remember getting Instagram. Uh, I think it was like 2015, I was in year eight, which is like seventh grade for you guys. I, I, I remember treating it like Google Plus because that's where I was mainly based on uh, just posting art when I was like 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. I treated it like a spam account at first, but then I thought, you know what? I could finally share my art with a wide audience. I've been posting for years, just refining my style, getting to know other artists, um, just being inspired by what I see, drawing things basically every day. Instead of trying to be something, I just made my own, uh, just my own genre, my own thing here, I suppose, in it. So I, I, mm-hmm. I found my uh, my niche. Yeah, and for um, members of our audience who aren't familiar with um, exactly what you do, um, how would you describe the sort of uh, the world that you've created with the with the your local breadman entities and all that? Um, well, it's largely a lot of it focuses around this 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 void of sorts that's full of strange creatures it's kind of based on feelings of growing up with uh trauma or like in my case adhd growing up with a very clouded mind um and similarly to my own head the void is is cloudy it's foggy it's it's vague it it just kind of makes you question everything and in this you know running around in this fog are these things kind of like intrusive thoughts some appear friendly some appear nasty and hostile and i guess the void is a representation of that 
essentially all my work is just uh, telling different stories in the void and sometimes uh, you know how it interacts with the human world um, but essentially I make all sorts of animations I make art I make uh, just experimental pieces sometimes they move sometimes they don't um, I've, I've done a bit of clothing design done a bit of uh, voice acting I make I make the music for my stuff as well uh, essentially I'm trying to create a very immersive um, kind of world with as much of my own assets as possible mm -hmm. um, just so it's just so that like it's it's its own thing in it like, even the sound effects I try to make them myself uh, with a recorder uh, recorder app and I, I just kind of do what I can to work with my limitations. A lot of it is just about working with the limits of some, um, you know, old apps that give you like a few filters to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now that's, that's interesting. Um, you mentioned kind of just briefly there, kind of within the world you're creating of the void, working with this idea of nostalgia or uh, working with like the limitations of technology. Is there like a, I, I know on some of your videos you have these images that have like digital film grain or like tape delay hiss or like VHS tracking errors. Mm. Is there something to that kind of nostalgia for vintage technology that you find appealing? Or do you think it's just kind of like a, a general trend that like aesthetically people are into right now? Um, well, I think it's kind of a mixture of both because for me, I wasn't around for the VHS age. I used, you guys have heard of like Gary Larson, uh, Farside. I used to, have a yeah, VHS yeah. tape. VHS tape of his animated works. It was amazing. The quality obviously degraded over time. And the reason I, I bring that up is because my work centers around decay. So, mm -hmm. you know, when work goes pixelated, work becomes out of focus, mm -hmm. you know, saturation. Like, you know, if you, if you saturate uh, an image too much, you start seeing these kind of pixely blobs of areas that have just amalgamated into one color rather than be like a range. So anything that degrades an image in a creative way, that's what my work is about. Um, but like with VHS, um, it's like VHS is almost like a time capsule from another time. Brutal Moose did a series on that at one point. But yeah, just, just seeing how VHS tapes, we made them and just on their own, they decay. They create all these effects. It's, it's like you, no one designed that. It kind of like nature, decay just happens on its own and decay sneaks its way into our technology and very artistic ways uh, a lot of the time so i love things like that where it decays something um just breaking something down mm -hmm. yeah i can definitely see that um focus on decay and like a lot of aspects of your work i guess beyond just the aesthetic of like degrading tech or like the aesthetics of like deep fried memes and, and pushing digital uh, saturation to its limit you'll often kind of set these scenes with the entities in like crumbling architecture or like subterranean kind of like pipes and stuff. Uh, you you kind of use the phrase in a lot of your uh, hashtags that you use in your posts, like liminal spaces. Can you kind of define like the term liminal spaces? Like what what is it, what is that concept and how does it have to do with like, yeah, how, how does it have to do with the, this kind of concept of degrading? Um, well, liminal spaces are interesting and I might get a few things wrong here, but to my understanding, liminal spaces are transitional spaces. They're designed to be transitional and that you don't pay attention to them because you're just designed to walk through them, to not be attached to them. Um, and I always found something strange about paying attention to spaces you aren't normally meant to look at or you, aren't, you weren't usually going to see. It's almost like, mm -hmm. like, you know how in a lot of my videos, 
there's characters saying things along the lines of your perspective or reality has gone diagonal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like there's this weird feeling, like for example, imagine you're in uh not like a like like a psychiatrist building, not a psych ward, a psychiatrist building where people have therapy and you've got the nice rooms with the little counseling rooms and that in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But imagine one of those at night with very dim yellow lighting. Reality feels off there, doesn't it? As something building on liminal spaces and spaces that have a specific weird atmosphere to them, and it like reality is off or something. Um, and it's become mm-hmm. it's become this kind of amalgamation. There is no set definition as long as you post it in the t- in one of the tags, and it kind of fits the vibe. People like yeah. it. Um, mm-hmm. So, for example, mm-hmm. you know that your favorite playground growing up. Imagine it's still there, right? It's like somewhere out there. It's there. It, it hasn't left the vibe and the experience of log of almost like clocking in, being like, "All right, I'm in the playground now." It's still there. It's still waiting for you to go back. That space is still mm-hmm. there, somewhere out there, waiting to be experienced. And something about being somewhere out of bounds and thinking, "This place is always here, but no one comes here." And there's just nothing special about it. It's just an empty space. And and places that mm-hmm. are purely empty spaces, like like in nature, no place is, is pointless. Every everything is there just to be there but like an empty alleyway that leads nowhere and has no purpose and it's simply there because the government ran out of space to put things and it's just an empty kind mm. of blank space it's mm. like that was purposefully put there and it's it doesn't have a natural kind of feeling to it it's a very kind of like it's, it's essentially like forgotten by the world with garbage and stuff like that a can of coke here and there but do you know what I mean? It's like places with this altered atmosphere almost. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can actually relate a lot to uh, what you're saying about like your favorite childhood playground. Like I uh, I grew up in like the Washington, D.C. area and I moved away when I was like five years old. But there was always this one playground that I called like the rocket playground because to me it was like structured like, you know, those like scaffoldings that they put like the space shuttle on before launch. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like in my mind, it looks so much like that. And moving away at such a young age, I was always like, oh, that park was so sick. That park was so cool. And then I came back a few years later and I was like, you know, 10 or 12, like a little bit older, like the kind of age where you stop playing on playgrounds. And I came back to that park with that image of like my four-year-old self thinking this was just the coolest place in the world. And I got there and I'm like, this is a pretty run-of-the-mill playground. It felt very out of place (laughs) for me now coming back and being like, oh, this place like in my mind had such an importance and like would recur in my dreams of like, I want to return to this place because I know it's the sickest place and I know that slide is so much fun. And then coming back and feeling out of place, like I can definitely see like the aesthetic of that feeling of like feeling out of, out of like feeling like you don't belong in a place that uh, like no longer like serves the purpose it once did. Like that's a very interesting concept. Imagine if reality in spaces like that, for example, it's like reality is a scorpion. It's shedding its skin and it's like, you're standing here seeing, or, or like maybe it's like an like an old person. Its skin is decaying. It's it's become tight and warped, uh, a, a shell of the real thing that it used to be. In it, it's like it's mm. still the same place, but it's like it's almost like reality. The vibe it will never be the same. It's gotten older. It's decayed, and you can put a facelift on it, but nothing's going to happen in it. Um, mm. But building on what you said. Have you ever seen one of those liminal space photographs of like a playground and, and you felt at home for some reason? My theory, and this plays into my work with liminal spaces, right? 
Because we've all seen the images, even if we don't know the terms for it, we've all seen the images out there. Mm -hmm. Think of all the places you've ever been in your life, friends' houses, the specific vibe and smell and atmosphere of that one uh, general practitioner or the doctor's office you went to when you were younger. Or school, the specific feeling your playground had when it was empty and you were getting, you know, you were allowed out of class to go to the toilet. I feel like when we see these liminal space images, our brain is trying to interpret whatever images it can. And it's almost like it mixes and matches and dilutes like a chemist, diluting all these vibes you've ever experienced, mixing them up. So it's like when I see it, when we, if all three of us look at the same liminal space image and feel weirdly at home or unnerved, it's, it's going to be unique for all of us. It's like your brain sees this familiar image and it tries to pull from, from your subconscious and conscious memory, whatever you can in order to, and it's like merges them together and kind of like taking yeah. like five layers on Photoshop that are all opaque and putting them together, they blur together until it's like, it's a vague feeling. And that cloudy feeling is what I've been exploring in my work. Those things we don't normally pay attention to unless we're on a podcast talking about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you sort of um, gave us a lot of uh, references of, you know, other artists who've sort of been inspirations for you for this sort of thing, um, including Trevor Henderson um, and uh, David First. Do you want to talk about a little bit um, yeah, yeah. your influences into this this kind of style? Um, yeah, well, this specific style, um, and I remember being in like year 10 or like year 10 is like ninth grade for you guys. I was quite I yeah. was young. I hadn't even learned about cryptid, uh, the cryptid community. I hadn't even began to amass the following I have now, which I'm grateful for. My art style was completely different, but I was still drawing these creepy demons, and I kind of missed that style. I'll never be able to go back to it. Because um, I think now, it's like, like back in the day, I would just like, for example, imagine a photo of an old biblical demon. It's like I would like trace over the body but give it my own, like, I'd give it skin, my own textures. I'd start changing the pose a bit. I'd mm -hmm. start, like, it's like, you know, if it had, like, a, a human foot, I would give it, like, a strange, like, spiky amalgamation of, like, tumors for a foot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, like, yeah. back then, a lot of stuff was just, like, me almost projecting my style onto things until I just decided one day to start doing everything myself and grow as an artist. But um, but back then I was just putting demons into photos. I thought it was cool. I thought this is amazing. Why has no one done this yet? And I started seeing these images everywhere and I was thinking, oh wow, like someone else is doing this. I guess I'm not special. And then like Trevor came along and everyone like, um, like he, he, I'm glad that he solidified like cryptid core or like cryptid communities and that. Mm -hmm. And it actually taught me so much about lighting and how to, like, you know, how to put a demon into an image and make it creepy and not like it's just been plopped in. You know, like mm -hmm. playing with lighting, playing with uh, angles and, you know, shadowing and all that stuff. But um, I think the general style, like, you know, demons and cryptids and photos aside, the general style is mainly from David Firth because mm -hmm. he has this series called Sock, which is these episodes that. I think they're based on dreams. I really think they are. A lot of them appear to be. Mm -hmm. um, they are ex a lot of them are disturbing. A lot of them are nonsensical, but they are so much like a dream. And a lot of these videos, similar to my content, you feel like you're being dropped into a story that's like a mm -hmm. billion years long and you've been dropped into it like halfway through. You're wondering mm -hmm. what's happened. Where is this going? What's going to happen to them? 
and you're, it's like the story drifts somewhere else. Essentially, it's just a, it's just dreamlike. There is no structure, and my dreams are one of the most fascinating thing and things in my life that I like to record and think about. Uh, as well as I like to make posts where I ask people about their dreams and their nightmares, and they comment. I get like hundreds of them. These comments about people's dreams and nightmares. It is it's so much inspiration, so much fuel. It's amazing. But uh, yeah, it's 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 just about that kind of dreamlike feeling of David Firth. He really did that for me. And then beyond that, I just found other things that were like, oh, this is creepy. I like I definitely like to watch this again. Um, but it's mainly David Firth. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned with uh, with Trevor Henderson uh, this kind of concept of a, of cryptids or like uh, entities. Is there like a, a tie into like the SCP kind of community that that you're working with, or is it mostly just kind of uh, entities in like uh, a different sense? Um, well, by I don't mean like these aren't in the same universe as the SCP, but like universe. But I would love to. I would really love to write my own uh, entries and creatures one day and put them on, but. Uh, now it's its own little universe. The entities, I've hinted that they have their own evolution and timeline and biology, but other than that, it's not really said where they came from. Um, so a lot of the life in the void is like it's like its own its own kind of SCP universe, and essentially just demons in photos. You don't know where they're from. You don't know if the photo has been taken in the void or in the human world, and you you get a brief description of what it's capable of, but it doesn't answer any of your other questions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Some of your work on the your local Breadman stuff and on the your Void Travels pages have this look where it looks like you're playing a video game, sort of like an RPG where you can select different options for talking to people and what your actions want to be. Um, and you sort of had referenced um, uh, some of your influences as Earthbound, Off, um, and Undertale, which all sort of have that, that same sort of look. So um, I guess you want to talk about where that... Um, where that aesthetic came from for you and what what it means to be playing through this world like a video game i guess it just started somewhere in the last two years when i was making these cryptids and all that um <laughs> so you've got all these types of creatures that kind of like blurted out outwards but the one thing i always thought about is how would i make this accessible to everyone and i thought a game but then mm -hmm. right i watched this thing one day and i can't find the name of it it was popular when i was younger it was this fake ps2 style uh, game and it, every episode was fake footage mm -hmm. none of it was actually real and it's like i tried to find that boundary between making it look like game footage and something that says oh this isn't game footage but it's meant to be but it, it seems yeah. to be that immersive it just looks like an rpg um but to, to, to build on what you said, seeing this as a game, the void is so vast and there's so many different ways to look at it. But it's like when I do make this game and get a dev team on it, you will have options, for example, even if the battle has started, you can still try and talk to them. You can attack them using like a physical attack, like a broken chain or like a metal pole, quite aggressive weapons, like a brick. Like we're talking like if, like if you use only aggressive weapons the entire game, they'll start kind of labeling you as an aggressive animal who takes pleasure in killing in it. So you have to be careful even in battle what you do in it. Yeah, so it's like while taking all of the the ideas you have about how the world works, it's sort of uh, using what I've seen is definitely a very sort of modern trend in sort of RPG games of, of you know making you really think about your actions and sort of looking at the game from an outside perspective of like, you know, what are you 
actually doing yeah. by fighting yeah. these yeah. things. Yeah, what, what is your role within this universe beyond just, like, player and game? Like, how are you actually interfacing with the, the yeah. characters? Yeah, like, who are you in it? Um, I like my work. Something that my my first year of college, about two and a half years ago, I'm in my third year now, um, my teacher said that the... I may not have agreed with him on everything. He was actually quite a nasty guy. But one thing he said was, you want to make something that makes people stop and go, oh, that's interesting. And then they think about it later and, and then they'll comment things like, oh, I love your work. Like It always keeps me coming back for more. It's like, you've got the talent, use it for something interesting. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's like, essentially, I want to... I wanted to make something that just stuck with people, something that uh, it's not just, oh, funny creature say something, you know, void like haha. Interfacing with my work, I don't want it to just be something you see for, for a few minutes, a few seconds, and you scroll past and never think about it again. Even if you're just scrolling, I want you to think about it for like another 10 seconds. One of those things where you actually stop and watch the full 50 seconds of it because you're like, wait, what is this? I want it. I want to make that kind of content that it's like you'd watch it at three AM, like like some weird Russian animation that's been posted fifteen <laughs> years ago. It's like you see it at three AM and just think, no one made this. This just farted itself into existence. Admit it. You've seen yeah. something on the internet and thought, yeah. no one made this. This just made there's itself. A, uh, there's a music video for the song "Returnal" by One Oaks Point Never, and it's. It's like a sad ambient piano song, but they put it over like a Russian animation of like cats and race cars mm. and then they slowed the animation down. And there's something so weird about like a children's cartoon and like this like very dark electronic piece and like, yeah, very much 3 a.m. YouTube vibes. Like where yeah. did this come from? Who thought yeah. of this? So it's, it's like you don't imagine this being made. It's so immersive. You forget that someone made it for a moment because yeah. then there's that magic of this is like a rare find a phenomena like discovering a new species mm-hmm. of beetle on a leaf you're like what is this it's that you don't go to it and immediately think of the creator and i think some artists and i think it's really cool it's self-expression but i guess i'm just not one of those artists who likes to shove his own image into the work that's why i've got a persona for that the little breadman guy like a breadman is essentially the amalgam it's like if the kind of like in doctor who when the tardis gained a human form for one episode he's an amalgamation of the void He's 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 the void talking to you, but he's also me subtly talking to my audience in ways. So I like subtly sprinkling things in, trying to do accents. But essentially, he is just an ominous uh, presence. Like for example, any character you meet in a Silent Hill game, you don't think that's a full human being. You think this is something to mess with me or something. Like that's not a human. They're only here as like symbolism or something. Mm-hmm. So like Breadman is is the kind of thing where he makes you think. What if there's something beyond like good and evil? What if there's like some unspeakable eldritch horror? He represents that kind of feeling of like what's beyond that curtain of reality, and like why is he actively hiding it from me mm-hmm. in a very kind of like unstable way? Yeah, uh, you you mentioned the uh, you mentioned Silent Hill there very briefly, and uh, when I was talking to Sean, we were looking at your work and listening to some of the music that you put behind it to kind of imbibe it with like a more a kind of video gamey uh creepy feel i i mentioned specifically the soundtrack for uh silent hill 2 mm. is that like a is that a soundtrack you're familiar with or is there just like a other influences that go into the music of your work i'm familiar with the general vibe of like silent hill and its music uh it's interesting to me but i i need to like give it a proper listen again um, a lot of my music kind of takes more inspiration from like, like you know, like Half-Life and Gmod music. Um, so like drums and riffs from Half-Life, guitar ambience, 
Uh, stuff from like Portal. There's a there's a piece of ambience called Stop What You're Doing, and it's really good. Uh, so like, mm-hmm. I don't know, Gmod and that kind of area of life inspired my Void music a lot because um, it's very atmospheric and it's not mm-hmm. just regular music. Like Half Life music, you listen to that and it's like you're in another planet. It's not just like ah, fun little jingle for a Mario level or sad violin. It, it's it's different. One of the things you also mentioned to us earlier was that you went a little bit into the detail about your, your musical process, but you were saying that for most of the music you're using like free trials of like apps and stuff. And a lot of the times for the visual effects too, you'll download like one app and then use it for one video and then get rid of it to see what it looks like. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. how that, um, the process of actually making these things is for you? So FL Studio uh, has a lot of limitations and bugs in it, but I get around it because I'm not paying £89 in one go just yet. Although I'm getting closer to being able to... like This Instagram has been like really supportive in ter- like financially uh, in terms of... Because I, I always hoped I wouldn't be one of those people who just coasts off of money he hasn't earned, but with every pound in my bank account, that's from a commission, that's from royalties from a hoodie that I've sold. Um, I will soon be able to afford much better stuff because um, I'm starting to pick things up now. And I'm actually beginning to get myself off the ground. I'm going to invest that back into my craft. Um, yeah. It's like for certain apps, it's worth just paying a few quid a month, getting the extra tools. They're very subtle, but it's, it's just good to have them there. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, I mean, if something's worth it, right? Get it? It's just certain apps. They'll they'll tell you to like get no ads or something like that, and it's like ah mm-hmm. bugger it. I'll just I'll just go through the process in it. But some apps that are really really useful for editing, and I'm gonna switch from phone editing to computer editing because there's just so much more than you that you can do. Because I've started to learn how After Effects works. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, I'll probably have higher quality products. But um, it's like for certain apps, it's actually worth getting rid of the ads, getting rid of things, just getting out of your way. Yeah, but there, there, there's something to be said about like working within the limitations of like software that maybe isn't like the full paid version or maybe is just like doesn't allow you to save or export what you make. Uh, is, is, is there like something about that aspect that is fascinating to you, just like working within the boundaries of, of technology? Yeah, I, I always thought it was weird how you've almost got this limited universe. For example, I don't know if you guys ever played Midtown Madness 2 growing up. It was a really good car game on PC. Um, Set in, set in either San Francisco or London, you have two large open world maps, you drive around, the physics were weird, but the handling was wonderful. Like, like the, the car, mm, they, they all drove amazingly, but it's like if you smashed into a U-Haul truck, it went like flying across the map. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm not joking, it, it made it look like you'd hit a cardboard box. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's like in the trial version of that game, there's literally this barrier locking you into like a tiny section of the map. When I was younger, there was always this feeling of, oh, God, I want to break away from this. I want to have the full thing. And just exploring this little limited world. And then one day I got the full game and it's like, wow, I have the entire map to explore. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive up buildings if I bloody want to. And that's something you can do because it's like, hey, you get the game, you get to play, you know, you get to run up buildings and that. But uh, I guess there's just something about knowing that it's like if I don't technically have to pay for this with FL Studio, if I can technically work my way around it, then Adobe can go, sorry, not Adobe, then FL Studio, the actual makers can, you know, 
they can go do one in it because it's like hey look at me i'm i'm still making stuff that's creative and i'm not even just haha i'm, I'm selling beats to people i haven't done that yet but it's like i'm making something i'm making something creative and you guys and your limitations i've worked my way around them time and time again it is satisfying seeing them try to put like audio gaps in one of my finished recordings and then just splicing another bit of the song into it seamlessly <laughs> and like yeah bugger you you can't stop me i'm, I'm very anti-capitalist yeah. in that sense i think like for example if they if they like, like you know how for example adobe says they, they actually police how you talk now they say you can't say you made this in photoshop you have to say i made this using uh, adobe photoshop software and it's like are you gonna tell me what yeah. to do i am the artist you're the like you're the guy in a suit shut up <laughs> um but it's, it's it's like working with that and I know if I paid for it, I'd get tons more stuff built in, even with all the stuff you can make do with in the trial version, because it's still near full of things. It's just a lot of the stuff you could normally access is still there, just slightly limited. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know paying for it would be good. And it's a one-time thing. You don't rent it like Photoshop. You have it for life. It's like 200 quid if you get the full thing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's like, no, no, I guess for now, because I, I, I'm not a professional in music. I just like making little beats that are fun. They're cute. You know, I don't yeah. make them so that everyone else will like them. I, I make them based on like what I think would sound good in my head. Um, I just make stuff for me to listen to, honestly. I know that sounds narcissistic, but I, I give my own stuff a listen here and there. Sometimes like that feeling of making a song or no, that feeling of loving a new song it fades faster for my music because I see the flaws in it faster, but it's mainly just made for me. Like, all my art is for me, and then on the side, it's for anyone else who enjoys it. But at the same mm -hmm. time, there is a there is like a juxtaposition there because my art is quite literally, I do make certain designs specifically for clothing, which makes money in it. But yeah, wor working with that kind of like limitation and knowing like I can just keep doing this and technically I don't owe them any money. Um, it's, it's just just knowing that I can make this. Mm -hmm. They didn't plan on me doing that, and I can get past every limitation. I've learned my way around all of them, uh, down to like the tiny logistics. I can get around everything. If it's like you know, I said I have to make everything in one sitting. I've learned how to save every one of my loops as MP3 files and just re-import them later. It's like you're not going to stop me, FL Studio. I will make something. You know what I mean? It's like a puzzle Nothing to solve. Stop me. Yeah, you're, you're just turning the process of music creation into a game in and of itself. It's just like there's more of a more of a puzzle, more of a challenge. And like it's more rewarding when you get past that. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's incredible when I can actually find something good in there. Um, and you have to be strategic because like you got these little gaps in the audio that appear, and you have to wait for that, and then you can go back to playing your music. But essentially, my a lot of my work revolves around making use of what I have and saying like bugger off to the professionals. For example, I remember seeing this art tip saying if you shade with black, it will look disgusting and messy. But a lot of my work shades with black and it looks okay to me. Um, and at the end of the day, if I like it, then, you know, cool. But it's like, yeah. I've, I've, I've never understood certain rules of art, except for things aesthetically like tangents, for example. You don't want like a street lamp perfectly coinciding with the side of a building you want there to be a gap so that it, you know spaced apart it looks more you know more real you know I, I pay attention to things like color theory and all those basics of art 
But in terms of mm-hmm. being, whenever I'm told, oh, you should study the great so you can get, like, really learn about art, like, I'm 19 years old, look what I built for myself, and you're telling me to study Leonardo da Vinci and Van Gogh. <laughs> it's like, I, no disrespect, they were amazing artists. Van Gogh is one of the most amazing in history, one of the most influential, but why are you telling me to study them when I've already made something for myself? Tell me, I would understand mm-hmm. telling someone who's young, hey, here are some of the most basic artists in history who all push boundaries. Study their work at a young age and you'll get a feel for like art and also how to push art. But like, it's it, I almost find it insulting sometimes when my mom will tell me you should take a look at like the greats' works and it's like, I'm already so deep down my own path and their work just looks bland to me. So it's, it's all about saying, you know, bugger off to the professionals. I'm making this and you can't stop me. Like, I will openly like... I will I will flip off an art critic if I want to, you know what I mean? Someone complimenting my work or criticizing it, fine. An art critic, it's like you know <laughs> like what was that what the was worst. that quote? As an ask as an art critic, you risk very little and risk nothing. Um Oh from uh Ratatouille. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one <laughs> from the rat the rat spaghetti movie. But um <laughs> 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 oh yeah. No, but essentially, oh, yeah. I've yeah. just never cared for like people like that. Like, I remember seeing um, there was this famous interaction between an artist and a critic or something or something like that, and it, and the critic was like, "Do you want my opinion on your work?" And the guy was like, "Okay." And the critic goes, "It's worthless." And the guy goes, "Yeah, I know your your opinion of my work is worthless, but you know, please tell me anyway." It's like. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, as a critic, critic yeah. At the end of the day, as a critic, you can talk, 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 but you don't. You contribute absolutely nothing. It's almost like you're telling people how to feel about something and why it's good. Yeah. Whereas, like, five people will look at one drawing and they'll all find something individual they like about it. They won't all like the same thing about it. So it's like a lot of my work is just about saying f you to the professionals. Not the good professionals who have put in the work into their craft, the ones who tell you what you can and can't do, the ones who are yeah. more snobby about it. Exactly. There was a, uh, I was just in a class the other day with um, an instructor who makes a lot of um, sort of experimental digital art and generative music and things. And he said that uh, there was a premiere at a, at, a, at a concert hall of one of his pieces and there was a, there was a classical music critic, I think for the New York Times or something that, had um, reviewed it as an inconscionable lost, waste of time. I lost all my respect there once I heard critics in the New York <laughs> Classical, but... Yeah, called it an inconscionable <laughs> waste of time and said it was the highest honor he'd ever received and put it on his website for like a long time. <laughs> exactly. If you can um, piss off a critic, but if you can piss off a critic for no other reason that you didn't do things by their rules, then you should frame that on the wall because it shows you've done something that's like made a, a ripple not just like taking a dump on a canvas and being like look what i made of course the art critic is going to have something to say about that but, yeah um, and obviously he'd be right there and saying this is this is a load of filth i, I want to say another word but this is you know radio yeah. <laughs> but, um, exactly but uh yeah it's essentially just about especially and one more aspect that goes into it is whenever I've shown off my portfolios of my work over the years to teachers, especially like recently or like over the years, there's always this feeling of like them saying, very cool, now run along. Like, I'm not just playing. Oh, with- that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not the just kind playing- of diminutive response. Like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I'm not just playing with crayons. I am, I've been doing this since I was young. Like, take a step back, sir. And I, when I say that, it doesn't mean I know the, all the answers in art. I'm not some god in art. It just means I'm saying like 
I know my craft, my specific craft very well, so don't tell me how to do it. You know what I mean? There's a difference in giving yeah. a tip and saying what you can and can't do, but it's also the fact that it's like never felt truly recognized by the academic world. Mm-hmm. You know, when I showed off my um when I showed off my art to my my newer college, Westminster Kingsway, in uh, late 2019, it, I literally I couldn't get into the I couldn't get in until I'd got like found my results for my like maths from like a few years back, um, and it's like I just showed them my best works and they're like, all right, but you haven't got a GCSE maths, have you? Um, you you didn't get your your proper grades. So you'll have to retake it alongside your course, and it just I never feel like teachers take it seriously they just see drawings whereas behind every drawing is like years worth of like growth goes into every drawing i make Mm -hmm. right there's years worth of like references and imagery stored in my brain that's influencing it but every drawing is interconnected with one another it's some people just can't see that um but it's like the fact that the teachers can look past it and just never look at me for what i am is just an artist doesn't mean good or bad just just like look at me for what i am i'm not some kid p- playing with crayons or finger paints like you know i'm an artist hear me raw take me bloody seriously innit? yeah so i guess now that you're going to, to university soon where do you see the near future of uh the void going um i'll definitely look forward to more to longer animations that last from like you know, no longer am I just going to be uploading little one-minute animations to YouTube. I want to make giant animations that are like these little rabbit holes for people to get into that have slightly more, like, better quality every time because I'm learning little tricks and After Effects. So just expect more quality and more length with every year. Yeah. Well, so if, if people would want to follow your accounts and, and keep up to date with your work, where can they find you? What are, what are your social media handles or what is your preferred platform? Um, well, just your your local bread man, all one word. And I'm pretty much same name on everything. Keep it universal. There's, there's ambient music out there under the name Void Travels. It, it, it's, it's there. It's, it's on different platforms. Well, that sounds great. Well, Emmanuel, thank you so much for coming on the show and discussing your process with us. Well, thank you guys very much for having me and putting up with my ramblings and ADHD and that. Yeah. Thank you. 